Welcome to Esports Odyssey, a podcast dedicated to making esports simpler by breaking it down and learning from the best. On this show, we talk to successful people within the esports ecosystem to see what sets them apart from the rest of us. Today, we're joined by Kendrick Swish, a uh, well-known uh, esports commentator, especially in, uh, in Heroes of the Storm, former teammate of mine and player veteran Twitch streamer and uh, head of community today at uh, WeHype. Welcome on the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I was uh, I was really uh, a little bit dazzled uh, when you said successful people. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure you got the right person in here? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Uh, let's see if you're not an imposter. Um, so just to give you a little intro, uh, we, we usually go and talk... Uh, mostly about your background uh mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be talking about your story what got you into games what got you into esports we'll talk a little bit about the stepping stones in your career and um you know where you go next so cool. um, i'm super excited awesome let's start with your childhood actually what was what was your first game and what, what got you into games oof man so i i remember Back in elementary school, uh, that was in the 90s. I know I'm that old. Uh, shame <laughs> on me. But um, in the 90s, one of my friends, one of my best friends back then, they they were already into gaming, like him and his father. They had this really old, I don't know, was it an Atari? No, I don't think it was an Atari. It was a, a 486. I think that's what it was, like the 486 um, early Windows 95 PCs. And they were playing Settlers 2. Which up to this day, by the way, is a freaking classic. They were playing that in their basement, and one day, young innocent Kendrick showed up, uh, and we wanted to go play football outside. But then we kind of stuck inside and checked this game out that his father was playing. So, looking behind the shoulders of his father was where my love to gaming was ignited. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Was that also the first game you you played? I I do believe so because we then switched turns and you know then it was his turn and then it was my turn and I'd never touched a PC game before so yeah I think we took turns and that was my first experience then. That's cool. Uh, so what about your first online game? Oof, my first online game that is that is really hard to remember, but I think I really think it might have been Shogun Total War, the very first one that came out because I remember back then when I when I played it. Uh, on my PC, like my PC back then was not my own PC, it was my dad's PC, and it was in the hallway, you know? So they could really monitor me very well. And after an hour, they would say, hey, 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 that's enough. Back to homework. <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> you remember those days too, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, Shogun Total War 1, which was also the first Total War ever to be made. And then I think I joined a clan, and then we had some Japanese battles going on there. And you're still a Total War fan to this day, right? Hundred percent. To me, it's one of the greatest series ever made. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, what was the first time you you uh, kind of went into this mode where you where you actually played something competitively? Not 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 necessarily to go pro, but you know, at a LAN party, something where you just wanted to beat beat some friends. Was that was that then? That was probably Diablo one. Okay, Di- Diablo one um, followed by Diablo two because. Those games, like we didn't obviously have like ladders or a ranked mode back then because internet was kind of a luxurious thing to have and you could only have it for a couple of minutes because then the internet bill would explode because they 
they would charge you per minute, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Diablo 1 and my friends and I, we always would um, show off our latest copy of our character, which you could then take on a floppy disk, and you would bring it to your friend's place, insert the floppy disk, copy the save file or your character file, and then you would show off and, and be like, yo, I got this new little set item there. I got the new legendary. Watch me. Look at me. And look how good I am. So, yeah, th that was kind of like the first competitive drive between uh, the friends in our clique. Oh, man, you're ancient. I know. What What were your other hobbies uh, during those days? <laughs> I had none. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, back in the days, I, I really was never like a hardcore PC nerd that never did anything else in his life. Uh, mm. I was hanging out with friends outside, going to the cinema, movies, uh, doing some sports. Like I was uh, I was big into, into ping pong, table tennis, actually. So mm. I was in a club there. Uh, we used to hang out outside, play some basketball. Yeah, so really like a like a wide variety of things. But when I came home, I always knew, like, cool. It was cool playing basketball with the kids and all. But when I sat in front of my PC, I knew that this was, this was just the best. You know, this was giving me the most satisfaction. Mm -hmm. so when you when you were playing te table tennis, uh, did you did you attend any tournaments and and, and yep. that sort of thing? Yeah. Yep, and I felt pretty good about myself back then, but. When I talked to my dad a couple of years ago, who, of course, drove me to all those, uh, you know, happenings and all those uh, games, he was like, man, I hate to break it to you, Kendrick, but you were pretty shit. <laughs> wow. Of course, back then he, could, he couldn't tell me, right? Because back then he would cheer for me, you know, he would try to hype me up and build me up. But he said, I wasn't that good. <laughs> Sorry, I was also very bad at table tennis, so. <laughs> Welcome to the club, man. Um... So when did you find out about esports, I guess? Esports, I think the first time I got into contact with anything that resembles today's esports, you know, with teams and pro players and all that, uh, was Warcraft 3. When mm -hmm. my friend and I, we, we played together in a 2-on-2 two -two team, um, and we we at some point met really good players. And at some point we met people from Okrana, which was like a super good team back in the days i don't think i'm not, i'm not even sure when they stopped existing but it was relatively uh early in the history of esports hmm. so we we encountered those two players you know with a fancy clan tag in front of their names and all that stuff and we were like hmm who are these guys and we looked them up after and we found out that they were part of a team and then we did some more research and we were like whoa these guys are really good and uh, so yeah, that's kind of when I first got into touch with uh, esports players and and really good teams. With Warcraft three, what what was your thing? Were you playing competitively? Were you, you know, what 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 was happening during that time for you? So Warcraft three, up to this day, as you could see in the in the prep for the show, mm. uh, is is still my my one of my biggest all time passions. Like the game is is in my opinion so good, so influential, and so nice. So back in the days. Everything fascinated fascinated me about it. Uh, it was, especially back then, the the new take on the RTS genre, introducing heroes for the very first time instead of just having units, like having this extra thing about heroes and leveling them up, combining the RPG element a little bit into this, just fascinated me. Then you had custom games. You had a map editor, which was super powerful and still is. Um, you had the beautiful campaigns. Like everything about that game fascinated me, and uh, I just wanted more. Love me some Warcraft three too. So what? If you don't play on Reforged graphics, it's still a very good game. <laughs> so what? What happened between 
that moment where you were playing with friends and you first got in touch with esports and uh you know you becoming a heroes of the storm commentator what was the what was sort of the path that led you to heroes it was really just hopping from one blizzard game to the next one and i'm not saying this in a way that uh, i just tried to get my chances everywhere it was because i i really just enjoyed playing all of them moving on from warcraft 3 i played a little bit of starcraft 2 although that game never really got me hooked as much but then it really started all with hearthstone i would say uh, Hearthstone, when that game game came out, you know, I I was so hyped, I was so hooked, and especially during that time in my life, I didn't have much stuff to do. You know, it was uh, summer holidays at university, so plenty of time to spend. And I thought, for for funs and giggles, hey, let's just start recording some videos and put them on YouTube because what the hell else are you gonna do at your with your time? Hmm. Did that, um, and it actually got some nice feedback. Uh, you know, some people liked it. Of course, I sold out like crazy and spammed everyone on my Skype list, on my Discord <laughs> list and whatnot. Hey, check this video out, you know. Things that if you did them today, you would facepalm, you know. You'd be like, oh my god, so cringe. But back in the days, <laughs> that's how you had to do it. And then uh, from Hearthstone on, you know, just following on that path a little bit more, uh, hopped onto Heroes of a Storm because the Hearthstone market got very saturated in terms of, you know, like video content and and streaming and all that. So... I decided that I would give my shot with Heroes of the Storm. And being a big MOBA nerd following the Warcraft 3 tradition and when MOBAs emerged out of that game, I was a big MOBA nerd too. And that's really when, when everything just was the perfect fit. You know, Blizzard Universe, nice game, and, and MOBA genre. And that was the perfect fit. Did you play any MOBAs before that? Dota 1, mm. League of Legends, Heroes of New Earth. The oh. only one I skipped back in the days was Dota 2. All of them. All of them. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a I was a pro player back in Dota, um, and I played. Uh, wait, wait, what? And, Are you kidding me? And I played Heroes of New Earth uh, competitively too. Are you legitimately saying you were a, a pro in Dota One? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was with uh, Mouseports actually knew back that, in dude. the day. Dude, that's so awesome. Which team did you play for? Mouseports. Uh, so that was with uh, Dreyage. Kuroki you know was I'm, actually I'm there. I'm that right now. Kuroki was actually there sometime too. <laughs> It was a long, long time ago, like 2005. I don't think it... That is so cool. I don't think the internet from those days even still exists. But uh, yeah, we're, we're here to talk about you. So at which point did esports start being a viable career to you? Or, or was that not until recently? So I, I, the first time I made up my mind about esports and potentially pursuing it as a full-time thing was when I was invited to do the Heroes of a Storm Road to BlizzCon 2015, hmm. which was kind of like the first real major e offline esports gig for the game. Before that, you know, there was a lot of online stuff going on, but that was, especially with the Road to BlizzCon being the biggest event, uh, BlizzCon being the biggest event, that was the first time I was like, okay, you know what? If this goes well and you're not messing up entirely, hmm. let's just give it a, a real shot and... Uh, yeah, I, I hopefully didn't completely mess up because I was invited to a couple of tournaments after, so I guess I can couldn't have been that bad. But in hindsight, when I look at the pictures, you know, my my freaking jacket being a little too tall or, or too big, mm. I I did look a little bit like a goof next to all those legends like Grubby, Todd, and Kalaris. So I I don't like to look back on those pictures too too much. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun though. 
Yeah, I mean, those were good times. What do you feel? What do you feel even got you into that position where you did get invited? When did you start casting, and uh, and why? You know, what was what was it that led you into the the sort of content creation business? It's hard to say. So be- before the the road to BlizzCon thing, I was mostly doing stuff in German and and really just for fun. Hmm. Um, so I was I was casting with a friend of mine. Um, and we're doing some sort of, um, you know, independent underground heroes esports cups, uh, yeah. online cups in German, um, and it was really very grassroots. You know, not a whole lot of budget. Most most of the people were doing it for fun and out of pure passion. Hmm. I first started realizing that this is actually something I really enjoy when there was the final of one of the German cups. And it started getting so exciting. I was so sweaty after that. And it all felt like it was a long broadcast. Mm. I think we we overdid it by two or three hours. Um, but I was so sweaty and I was so happy at the end of it. That I was like, man, that's a good feeling. And, and I kind of want to experience that feeling again. You know, just being proud of what you've achieved. Just mm. guiding the players through uh, an entire tournament. Getting the viewers excited. And then getting a little bit of positive feedback in chat. Uh, that was really... You know, so many areas of my brain, I think, were stimulated at that point. I was just, like, high on a cloud. I, I was like, that's something I want to experience as much as possible. That's a, that's a very good reason. Um, yeah. And then and then you, you ended up uh, actually doing a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, Heroes, Heroes of the Storm commentary for a lot of tournaments after after the road to BlizzCon, right? Yeah, um, I, I did a fair share. I, I wasn't invited to all of them, mind you, because there was a super competitive and a super good roster of, of casts to draw from uh, in the first place. But uh, I did do my fair share, you know, a couple of dream hacks. And uh, then there was an Eastern Clash in Taiwan that I was part of. Um, I it, During the later stages of Heroes of a Storm, I was generally the the china expert next to my co-caster tetra so we focused a lot on china and the asian scene so that was a really cool take as well like experiencing the game from a different point of view a really outcast area almost you know that's so far away and secluded from everything else hmm. and during during your uh your career as a commentator p- primarily was there ever a breaking point like a, a point at which you felt Oh wow! Like I did so well now compared to compared to before, and and what was that? Um, so the breaking point where I really felt like this was more than just a hobby. Um, it was probably when I when I got to meet some of the former or still to this day idols, quote unquote idols of mine. You know, when you meet people like Grubby in in real life, people that you've been following as a fan or as a viewer for so many years and you've been you know admiring their skills and their and their performance online or when you get to when i got to see artosis and tasteless in the hotel lobby you know and having breakfast with them and a couple of other lovely people Hmm. like these are the moments when you're like i cannot believe i'm actually sitting there you know and you really have to contain yourself not to sound and look like a fanboy in these moments because you're technically speaking one of them so that was really the the first moment in all these hotel evenings and in hotel hotel moments where I was like, "Damn, this is actually really awesome, and I wouldn't want to miss it." What about ability wise, like your own ability as a commentator? Was there a breaking point there? Uh yes, I would have to say that this would have probably been during. Oh man, was it Dreamhack Winter? 
I think it was during a w- DreamHack Winter 2016. Uh, please don't quote me on that. It could have been a different DreamHack, but I was I was commentating with Wolf, whom uh, many of you may know as an Overwatch commentator at the moment. And we were casting this crazy game together. For the first time, we, we had never seen each other before. We'd never cast together uh, before. So we were casting this crazy game featuring uh, Virtus Pro and, you know, the crazy Russians. They were playing Murky and all sorts of wonky heroes that you normally don't get to see that much. So being there with Wolf, having all this super crazy dorky fun about the the, the strange hero compositions that they chose was really why I was like... Man, that probably if I was a viewer and I listened to the two of us, I would have probably enjoyed the heck out of that. Of course, it's always super hard to tell because sometimes you feel like the greatest caster alive and people in chat are just mm. fail fishing the heck out of their brains. Uh, in that moment, I really felt like it was good casting that we did. So what, what got you there, though? You know, uh, when you when you started, was there anything that you felt that you actually actively worked on, that you actively had to improve on over time. Yeah, for sure. Um, so remember when I said my my first casting gig ever wrote to BlizzCon 2015, my jacket was too big, you know, I looked like a goof. Mm. And I also noticed that I was so nervous during my first gig that I started uh, lisping, something that I normally never do. I didn't notice it. I looked at the VODs and I was shocked. You know, I was like, is that me? I usually don't lisp. What is happening? What is going on there? Hmm. So I couldn't believe it. I was in disbelief. And I asked some of my uh, some of my friends who are also watching, like, did you guys notice that? And they were like, yeah, that didn't sound like you, man. So <laughs> I really watched this VOD over and over. And I was, I was trying to recast the situations, record it, and then compare what did I sound like this time. And I basically kept reminding myself that, you know, not to lisp, try to sound naturally, don't get so excited, don't get nervous. So this was always something I had to mm. I had to fight. And then when I first watched a VOD that I was truly happy with, you know, without any lisping, without any hectic stuttering or or nervous looking into the camera, that's where I was like, man, you've you've done a much better job this time. We'd like to thank our partners at Elgato, without whom this podcast wouldn't be possible. They provided much of the equipment used for all of our recording sessions. Elgato is the leading provider of hardware and software for content creators, leveraging decades of experience to develop widely accessible products that empower all creators to produce high-quality, professional content. Elgato has provided us with a reliable 4K 60 Pro capture card, professional key light lighting, and a customizable stream deck, enabling us to pull off pretty much anything we can think of. Head over to Elgato.com to see their full product line. So do you have any any piece of advice? Like anything that helped you uh, really, really get uh, get to the stage where you, you know, besides reminding yourself not to be nervous, uh, how did you get over that? What I quickly started noticing uh, would help my, uh, my nervousness was holding something in my hand. Mm-hmm. Ever since then, I always tried to have like a pen you know, even now I'm doing it. Like even now I'm holding a pen in my hand, uh, like holding a pen or or uh, or some sort of gadget that doesn't look uh, suspicious, hmm. and you know try to try to find like a try to find something that calms you down, and hmm. most importantly try to remember that even if you do mess up or if you were to mess up something, there's so many things happening 
most people probably wouldn't even notice it unless you said something really, really stupid. So many things that casters think they're messing up with, very few people who are watching even notice it, you know, because there's so much other stuff going on. So mm -hmm. uh, I always try to tell people that don't pay too much attention on things that in your eyes don't go well, you know, because chances are many people don't even notice it. Mm. Good advice. And during your during your career as a commentator, did you ever have something like a mentor, like one person that, that gave you a lot of advice and helped you? There were many people uh, that, you know, provided tips and insight and helped out. So that's something I want to say uh, real quick in general, that I haven't met anyone at tournaments or in between that was truly, how should I say, like unsupportive. Mm. All my fellow commentators, uh, people behind the scenes, you know, they, they were always super supportive. And I think casters, they really try to get the best of each other because I think a lot of people, when they when they see casters, they must be thinking like, oh, aren't they competing against each other? You know, who gets mm. to the next tournament and, and stuff like that. But the thing is, if you're if you see yourself as a competitor, you know, and you want to be better than everyone else and you want to make these other uh, casters look bad so you get a, another job, that's when the whole broadcast is suffering and that's ultimately what ends up in you losing jobs because uh, people will notice, man. Hmm. So shout-outs to everybody uh, that I've ever worked with. Uh, I haven't found a single person that was not fun. But in terms of mentors, probably have to say Kalaris because he was the driving force behind really getting me into casting on mm. a on a professional level in the first place. And hard to say, I think Kalars is really the the one person that uh was always there and that would always listen to uh what I had to say and would also provide really good feedback. And uh, did he ever give you like one piece of advice that that really stuck out to you to this day? Make others look good and you will look good too. I like that. That's really something, especially for hosts, you know, oftentimes I feel like, like I did a lot of hosting towards the, the end of Heroes of a Storm. So I was more like a desk host uh, rather than a commentator in many events. And I think oftentimes from a viewer point of view, you know, from a fan point of view, I mm. think hosts or desk hosts, they don't get enough appreciation because people are like, well, they don't say anything valuable. You know, all they do is just repeat stuff over and over. But they're basically the foundation of a broadcast, I would say, and casters and analysts and experts, they can really build up on that. And from what I've gathered, they're really appreciative and grateful for a good host because it's basically the person that makes them shine. I mean, it's the same, it's the same for anything else too, right? If you look at yeah. uh, esports teams, uh, if, you, yeah. if you as a player make your other teammates shine, then uh, that's good for the whole team, right? 100%. Um, and the same goes for literally anything else, I think. Uh, any job, too. It's always about uh, about that, about being supportive uh, to your teammates. And I think uh, I think a lot of people don't see the broadcasting crew as, as a team, but obviously mm -hmm. they are, right? For every tournament, yeah. that's that's your team. And you got to make your they team win. You have to, man. Yep. You, you, you win together or you go down together. That's pretty much it, you know, and... I like what you said about the games. It's, it's the same drive. It's the same mechanic. And although, let's say you're a support player and you have to make your AD carry shine by any means, the AD carry will most of the time get the laurels, you know, and, and, the, and the fame. But, hey, without a strong support, he couldn't have done it. Yep. 
And yeah, you know, that's why you see most supports uh, ending up to be t- team captains and the ones forming <laughs> forming teams in the long run and actually being the star players. Yeah, man. Uh, shout out to to Dendi and uh, and the like. Um <laughs> So that was that was your casting career. What what came after that? So sadly, most people who were uh, you know really invested and really engaged in the Heroes of a Storm esports community, hmm. uh, well, they were Blizzard didn't follow our advice, Nazareth, that we just gave out to the people because they weren't trying to make us shine and and support us because they killed the esports. You know, <laughs> they didn't really do it in a pretty way. It was more like a overnight decision. It seemed like well, of course it wasn't, but it felt like it. And they basically cut off the entire esports program for Heroes of a Storm a couple of days before Christmas. That was, uh, you know, the icing on the cake, really, for for all the players and, and commentary crew. Yep. And that really hit all of us really hard. We we kind of thought, you know, something was going to happen, but we didn't expect it to be this abrupt and, and this short notice. A lot of casters lost their job because of that. I was somewhat lucky in a way because I'd always streamed on the side. You know, I was just fully relying on on pure raw esports work in my spare time. I always did some private streaming, streamed Heroes of the Storm, streamed other games. Hmm. So I had something to fall back on. And that was basically uh, my main source of income for a couple of years after, you know, just being a full-time streamer doing some gigs on the side if someone needed a host or needed a commentator. Hmm. Um, they could always reach out to me. But yeah, full-time streamer, that was it until I picked up casting and commentating much more again with Warcraft 3 and uh, Reforged when it came out. Got it. And then you joined uh, you joined WeHype actually during that same time as a as a full-time streamer, right? Yeah, so WeHype is, uh, is a company, for those of you who uh, have never heard about the the crew behind it, uh, that specializes in connecting brands and influencers, content creators, to create uh, really cool sponsored opportunities, you know, that will benefit both the creators and the brands. So I was hooked up through you, actually, my man. Mm. <laughs> I remember that, uh, that you, that you uh, hooked me up and said, hey, they're looking for a German-speaking uh, community manager. Yeah, I remember that. Shout-outs to you, Nas. Who knows, man? Without you, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast now. <laughs> maybe not maybe not so uh yeah i joined i joined WeHype as a part-time german-speaking uh community manager and mm. we basically did that on the side for for many many years and well only a couple of months ago they asked me there was a full-time opening and they asked me if i wanted to take that over as head of community and well there we go now i am in sweden and enjoying the good swedish life best country in the world I, it it really does feel like Sweden is ahead and doing so many things right in many many ways. Hmm. All right, I agree, but that's not the topic of this uh, this podcast. Um, We're not sponsored by the Swedish government. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although, if they want to sponsor us, they're very welcome to. Hmm. <laughs> um, you know, from the from the beginning to now, what do you feel have been the biggest challenges for you? and you think might be the biggest challenges for others in the esports industry? I think the hardest thing for people who are trying to make a living in esports full-time is that there's no guidelines. You know, everyone has a different background. Everyone has had a different path in, you know, in terms of how they got into it. It's not like, hmm, you can go to university, study esports for five years, leave university with a master's degree, and then, boom, you are a fully-fledged caster. No. 
mm. you know people people they they come in from being teachers from being uh you know employees of gaming companies game devs uh whatever they they come from all over the world of all different facets and and mm. company sectors and it's just try to make a name for yourself and try to learn try to adapt try to make connections networking super important and that's it there there is no clear guideline there's only tips you can give people but there's not a strict rule set they can follow unlike in other professions you know be the best uh be the best programmer and at some point you you come up with a sick code or or a sick uh program piece of software that you made and people are going to pick you up because you're that good and i mean you you yourself you were a teacher before you uh started all of this full time that is right? true that is true yep uh, very very different from what you're doing now very different although former students of mine they kept telling me oh this is so much cooler than uh teaching at school and i was, and back then i was like hmm maybe they're right but in hindsight i realized that teaching kids and doing esports or streaming on twitch uh even more that it has very many things in common very very many things in common okay please elaborate because i kept telling this to my stream as well being a streamer essentially is like being a teacher, just not in front of 20, 25 kids, but in front of dozens, hundreds, and thousands even of people. Because mm. there are so many people who want something from you, who ask questions, who uh, may not like you, may dislike you because in their eyes you're doing a crappy job or uh, are not explaining things the way they want it to be explained. Mm. So you're you're trying to cater to to a lot of different needs and juggling and balancing them is is really the greatest uh, challenge and i think teachers feel the same way so you would say uh, your career actually sort of helped you in in uh in achieving what you've achieved in many ways yes for example i've always been relatively immune to uh, to flaming people or people who just try to insult you on a very personal level you know without any constructive criticism just the the classic like you're shit <laughs> you know yep. and you're like well okay that's something you uh, might be saying but why do you think i'm that way and then usually people have a hard time following up on that and you know th th as a teacher there's always going to be uh, students who say these things to you sometimes or who say it behind your back and you and you and you hear it or something like that uh, you have the parents coming up to you and trying to uh, defend their righteous children who would uh, never do anything bad in classroom because they're yep. a shiny innocent beacon of light Yep. Dealing with this kind of criticism and and trying to not let it get to you and you know always have a happy face on and have a smile on that that is definitely something that I think helped me for streaming and commentating. You would then say that you would equate dealing with online trolls to about the same thing as dealing with an 8-year-old. Dealing with 8-year-old bullies. Yes. <laughs> bullies. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's And honestly, dude, uh Oftentimes, these two groups have a very similar state of mind or a very mm. similar level of mental maturity. So, so if you can give us, you know, it doesn't have to be long. If you can give us a, you know, a, a, a quick introduction to how to deal with an eight-year-old bully right here. Um, give us a quick yep. lesson. So I remember um, on, on my exchange here at university... I was uh, spending that year in Canada, and I was working at an elementary school in Canada, private school, you know. 
uh, which of course has a little bit of a different rule set than uh, public schools because in private schools, you know, the kids are usually from wealthy families mm -hmm. and they finance sort of the school. So you had to be particularly nice to these people mm. uh, and to the students because otherwise, oftentimes, the principal would be like, yo, you don't treat Mrs. Chang the way we want to. She's giving us 50K a year. You're out. <laughs> and I've seen that. I've witnessed that. So there was this young kid, a uh, young boy, really spoiled and really not nice to a lot of people. And classic kid, you know, would, would show off with money, would, would be like, my dad is this and my mama does that and I have this much money. Look at me. So at some point, that kid would uh, be very, very not nice to uh, to a girl whose family didn't have that much money. And, you know, the parents were working really hard to allow her to be on the school so he was making fun of her and others chimed in so i took him by the hand and i took him to the side and i had this really long one-to-one -one discussion and it all turned out that you know uh it's really a classic story parents didn't pay much attention because they were always busy always at work never at home and that the kid was basically trying to get appreciation and, uh, and attention from others hmm with this kind of behavior. And I really think that this helps you understand why a lot of people are just being super loud and super noisy online. And if you then just try to uh, be calm, you know, and try not to respond with heat and uh, temper, you will find that either those people get very quiet very quickly or mm -hmm. they might even understand you. And if they still don't understand after that, well, that's basically a whole different topic then. You would have to think about other stuff. But yeah, just being just being sincere and taking them seriously, even when they don't say serious stuff, uh, I think has helped uh, me a lot in my personal life. That's good. I think you know. I think I think this is really good advice and a really good learning for for a lot of people, because uh, obviously not just commentators, but everyone online obviously deals with a lot of um, a lot of heat like that. Yeah. And you know, you never know what's what's happening, what's going on in their lives. You mm -hmm. know, maybe. Uh, someone in their family, you know, has had an accident or their girlfriend, their boyfriend left them. You know, there, there's, you never know what might be the reason or the trigger point for these people to behave a little bit more aggressively or uh, destructively, you know. Um, I think if you, if you give people the chance to tell you their story, you will learn a lot and uh, it's, it's more productive than just flat out be like, yo, F you, I'm going to block you, whatever. Hey man, I I found myself irritable in a game yesterday, and I I just had a migraine. So, <laughs> I mean, it can be all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I I definitely had my moments in which I responded or or I sent something to people in a way that was cocky, uh, un impolite. You know, I mm. I had those moments too, where in hindsight I was like, man, that was not nice. I shouldn't have I shouldn't have responded like that, but. I think uh, constantly reflecting and 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 uh, taking a second look at yourself uh, will will help so many people. Yep, for sure. So going back to your career, along your entire career, and I mean you've been doing a lot of things now, a lot of different things. What do you feel has been one of the key driver for your success? It's really hard, man, for me to to uh, to label myself successful. Um, I mean, you're here, you're doing this full time, you've been doing it for a long time now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So thank thank you, Phil uh, Nasworth, for believing in me. Thank you. 
I think the label or 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 uh, good criteria to uh, to consider yourself successful with is uh, not necessarily necessarily just raw numbers. Although, of course, those are nice, and many people definitely describe themselves successful according to numbers. But I think it's more like a feeling, you know, like a like an inner level of peace and 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 happiness that you have while doing stuff. For example, when I commentate these days. Or when I work with WeHype and mm. I, I do my stuff in gaming, in the gaming industry, in the esports industry full time, I reflect upon myself, you know, and, and I just I just prepare my dinner at night and I'm like, man, today was a good day, you know. And I don't worry about days to come like, oh, man, what's happening tomorrow? Or I don't really want to go to work tomorrow. I don't want to do this job. I don't want to talk to this uh, customer or whatever. Mm. Like if you if you don't have these feelings but if you have this sort of happiness and this inner tranquility within you i think that's when you can be successful when you can consider yourself successful i think what you're describing there is as just passion <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just passion for what you do right and if if that aligns with with your dreams of pursuing a career that's super good hmm. that's probably the perfect case scenario um and not many are blessed to have that also it is ne it's needed to be said that it took some sacrifices or it usually takes sacrifices and some risk or willing to risk to pursue that absolutely it's uh i mean it always takes some some risk to um to deviate from what's normal right and uh our my, my parents not... wanted to strangle me when i told them that i'm uh quitting the teaching background and i want to do esports now my, mm. like my parents looked at me like an alien Dude. I mean, I guess you're also from one of the more traditional parts of Germany, right? So, <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Are you saying the the Bavarians are the rednecks of the sort of? Yeah, uh, very. Okay, very okay. Co I mean, Bavaria is the most conservative part of Germany, right? Probably true. Um, Probably true. But anyway, one one interesting question I have for you is actually uh, going back to your commentary days, which is. Um, or you know, I guess you're still doing commentary now. So, so is that there is, true. is there any um, any type of routine you have? Any any uh, anything special that you do to get ready for a tournament? Anything that you do, you know, before you're about to cast a match? Uh I wish I could tell you something really fancy and cool, like going uh, on a meditation mm. or <laughs> or sending some prayers, you know, to to <laughs> God or something. But no, it's just really like I guess before we go live, like I try to be really well prepared. Is mm. is probably the best way of saying it. You know, there are some gigs, you know, where you can you just walk in and you you can be improvising and you can be spontaneous and whatnot. But for the most part, I just want to make sure that I did preparation. And I got my scenes on OBS, you know, I got everything set up and mm. I got my microphone settings and I just want to make in a, in a very calm way, just make sure that everything is prepared and then leave maybe 15 minutes or, or half an hour in between where you just do just some winding down and then you go back live or you come back live. Mm. Okay. And I think having these moments and that's more like a, like from an online perspective, right? Because most of the days, uh, these days in Warcraft 3, we have uh, online tournaments mm. uh, that we do from home, especially in the corona uh, crisis times. But I guess that's also something I try to do offline, you know, at DreamHacks and ESL events and, and whatnot. So 
it's kind of like, once again, like in school, you know, before you write an important test or an important exam. You know these kids who just uh, try to panic each other up, you know, by, oh, have you, have you prepared this? And do you know what, what happens if, if that happens in here in solution to question? But what if they ask this? And they drive each other nuts. And I always try to stay away from that, mm. you know. And, and same with uh, esports uh, prep, you know. I sometimes just put, put in my headphones or put on my headphones and I just try to be for me and not get myself attached too too much to the to the hysteria that 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 goes on before. Okay. Okay. That's fair. I think I've uh, I've equated um even though I'm not a commentator myself obviously, but I've equated uh the preparation for commentary uh yeah. going back to another school um school analogy here to doing a presentation. If you don't prepare for your cast, if you don't read up on the teams, if you don't know the histories, yep. it's basically like you uh, just read a Wikipedia article about something and you're doing a presentation based off that, right? And the difference between that and actually reading an entire book on the on the matter and being able to, um, if you're forgetting one detail, you have so many other things to pull from, right? So it doesn't mm. matter that you're forgetting one thing. You, there's still There's still so much more that you can just f- fill with. Um, yeah, that that is so good and so important what you just said. Like being able to have a backup topic or or a replacement mm. of stuff that you may be forgetting or stuff that you simply may not have an answer to. You know, following it up with something else worthwhile or a fun little story or or an anecdote or something is super important. There is nothing worse than awkward silence moments in in, in commentating or or something like that. Given it can be a fun instrument of, uh, of causing some some comedy, mind you. That of course is a different take. But usually, when someone asks you uh, a crisp question or or expects you to say something crisp and clean, and you don't have anything, man, that's that's the worst that could happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, be, having no comeback is definitely the worst. Yes. When you're on air, yeah. it's the same. It's the same in a podcast, right? <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. if you don't know what to say, that is that is the worst. Yeah, um, have you ever tried doing dead air on a podcast? No, I haven't. The, imagine if you asked me a question, Phil, and and I didn't have an answer, and it, both of us would panic, right? Because I would feel uncomfortable, and you would feel uncomfortable, and, and people in these moments they can't be silent. It's mm. it's super awkward. If not, a, do you want to try it for for ten seconds? Nobody says anything. You know what? Luckily, luckily we're not live. Damn it! <laughs> so, so if there were any awkward moments, we could just cut ah. them out. So we've we've talked about your career. We've talked about your past. You were always uh, kind of competitive. I think there was always a lot of passion, as you said, about about gaming in general and about the games that yeah. you've been into. And and now you're you know you're still you're still commentating. You know back back to the game that you love so much, mm-hmm. and uh, you are the head of community um, at at We Hype. What do you feel is is next for you? What is the next big step for your career? The next best step for me would be to uh, to build something truly amazing, and I think at WeHype we have the means and the possibilities to do that. Like I've always been someone who like who wants to see something grow. I think that's probably the best thing to to describe it because maybe that's the reason why I love playing uh, city builders, you know, or strategy games in in general. Maybe I just love seeing how you start up with one worker or how you start up with one tiny village and over the course of time you have this flourishing city or a huge army that uh 
just runs into the opponents half the map and uh, and takes it all. And I think this is something that uh, I want to achieve with WeHype right now, um, which is really like my main focus. Test. Just build up this this platform for streamers and brands to get together, um, and just one day, you know, sit back and be like, "Hey, I made this." You know, smiley face. I think that's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think um, I think it's always nice to to watch things grow, and I think that's yeah. That, that's what a lot of us, I think, in this industry have in common. I think we all feel the same way, not just about the projects that we're working on, but about the industry as a whole. And, and that's why yeah. it's so special to be a part of of esports. Uh, and, of, Man, and esports has grown so yeah. much, right? It, it has. Compared, compared to even five years ago, let alone 20 years ago, it's crazy how this basement phenomenon uh, of of sweaty nerds is sitting in front of 10 kilogram monitors you know uh, has turned into this stadium atmosphere look when i was playing dota league when i was playing um what was it called um mym pride tournaments in dota (laughs) back in the day you know that was that twitch was not even on the horizon back then yeah you know people watched matches in uh, gg client which is now rebranded as garena and they're actually a m- massive publisher in southeast yeah. asia right so a lot of a lot of things have changed and you know a lot of things have changed for the better for sure and it's it's beautiful it's been beautiful to watch this grow i mean i've been doing this for 10 years you've been doing it for five now uh full-time yes yeah so yes. It's uh, it's it's been a wild ride, and it's I think it's it's going to be for, for quite some time. Man, I I think this is still just the beginning. You know, mm. uh, I, I I still think that as as soon as we're in our forties, fifties, sixties, even, um, not only do I think will there be a whole new market for these players or for these people, like I I'm I'm convinced that at some point we're gonna have senior esports or uh, you know, elderly games that can be played competitively in their own way. Yep. Um, but then our grandchildren, our children, you know, they're going to grow up with this and, uh, and they're going to see when they hear the name pro gamer, it's it's something that their eyes will sparkle, you know, instead of being like, you know, what, what do you just say? Pro gamer? You want to be a pro gamer? No, hell no. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's that's actually almost it uh, for for my questions for the day. I, I, I have two questions that we always like to ask, uh, ask each of our guests. Uh-oh. as uh, sort of the closing closing questions. Um, okay. I'll start with one that is much more aligned with your uh, with your commentary, which is mm-hmm. if you had the choice between having 5,000 concurrent viewers on your own channel or 50,000 on another channel, uh, but you're you're there, you're you're putting on the show, which one would you choose? Oh my god, that is a hard nut to crack. Oof. I would probably go with the 50k. Okay. Because I think despite me at some point like I've been a I've been a full-time streamer for for several years now um before I actually uh went to Sweden and all that. But like I, I it's hard to describe. I think just being on the big stage in front of uh, a massive audience would personally give me more satisfaction and more pride to look at in hindsight. Mm. Um, than a 5k personal private stream, which by no means is a shabby thing. Like that's still amazing. Like you're basically, uh, Nas, you're trying to make me choose between uh, vanilla cupcakes and freaking gummy bears. Both both are so good. 
Um, <laughs> but I'd take the 50K simply because I would have this moment of, man, I did that. That makes sense. I mean, I I was trying. I was I had this conversation with uh, with my girlfriend actually the other day. Yeah, and I was explaining okay. to her how people, when it comes to Twitch, people never really associate numbers with what it really means, right? Like having twenty, having twenty viewers is not shabby, right? Imagine twenty people standing behind you, behind you while you're playing games, and watching you. Um, and then imagine 5,000 people. That's a hockey arena, right? That's an ice hockey arena full of people. Yeah. And then yeah. 50,000 people, that's a football stadium. Most football stadiums can't even fit that many people. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's and how they will many probably never that get that many people in many stadiums. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a massive feat either way. My other question for you is, um, if you were given one tweet that had a guarantee of going viral... What would you tweet? If okay, if I was my next tweet was guaranteed to go viral, yep. what would I post? Yep. Uh, I would probably post something along the lines of people like, especially in these days, you know, with the freaking corona uh, ravaging and mm. and keeping so many people uh, under lockdown and stuff. Dude, I would just love to see that newspapers and media. Um, even in dire times, would focus a little bit more on positive news. So that's what I would share, you know. Focus more on, on positive news uh, because I really think it affects so many people and uh, also cats greater than dogs. I just said it. Wow. That's a controversial thought here to, to end the show. Um, I, I, had, I had to get it out there. I'm, I'm a cat man. That's not, let's not talk about pineapples and pizza. So um, <laughs> I want to give you the chance to, um, to, to sort of have the last words. Uh, you know, if there's anything that you want to share with the audience, you know, maybe about, about WeHype, about what you do, any, anything that you want to share in general, I just wanted to give you that last chance. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I mean, first of all, just thank you for having me on the show, uh, Naz, and, and everyone at Challenger Mode. Uh, feels good to be in Sweden uh, with a lot of fellow awesome esports and uh, gaming people. So shout-outs to you guys for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, also, shout-outs to WeHype, uh, who basically uh, provide me with uh, a tremendous chance of uh, just achieving something truly great and making a lot of people happy, influencers, content creators, and brands alike. So uh, shout-outs to them, and you should definitely check them out. If you're a streamer, uh, if you're a pro gamer with a following, uh, or if you're a brand, uh, wehype.it is uh, the place to be. Awesome. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show, Kendrick. And um, Thank you. Thank you, guys. We'll hear from you soon. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Esports Odyssey. If you enjoyed this episode, you can follow Challenger Mode on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook where we announce all new episodes and share podcast-related news. You'll find all of our socials in the show notes. Feel free to email us at podcast.challengemote.com if you have any questions from this or any other episodes, or if you would like to learn more about Challenge Mode and what we do.